when should you start planning for an exit? If you make a billion dollars revenue in 100K profit in a marketing agency, it's like, why would someone want that level of operations for such a low level of profit? So that net profit of 500K is now 300, 350K. Because if you're working 60, 80 hours, someone needs to be covering that. Where things get interesting in terms of profit is 100K plus. Today on the show, I'm happy to have George Mulas. He's the founder of e-commerce brokers. And you did your first seven-figure deal when you were 21 with this business. We actually met because I was looking to sell my e-commerce business. And I said, wait, who's this 25-year-old guy who's brokering e-commerce companies? So talk to us about the first seven-figure deal at 21. Sure. So it's definitely an interesting story. There were a lot of... I started when I was 13. I started my first e-commerce business. It was an affiliate business. And I created like seven of them. They were based around Facebook groups, built the community, um, the Facebook group communities, and then monetized them later. I read a book called Crush It by Gary Vee. And then I just did that. And then I started to sell them. And then I started a marketing agency with a lot of affiliate clients. And then it went on from there. And when I started to sell my businesses, whether it was my affiliate businesses or e-commerce digital product businesses I had or my agency itself, I got good at selling businesses and my clients wanted me to sell and help them buy as well. So that just became the natural process of things. And I did a lot of deals that were small and we usually charge a flat 10%. So if I'm selling a 5K business and it takes a month or two, I'm making very little money. So we slowly scaled up. We, I say we, but it was me for by myself and maybe one VA for a long time. But as I got older, I just stuck to this. I stuck to it. I was doing it through high school. I did it. I didn't go to college. I just went straight into, yeah, operating e-commerce brokers. And my goal was always just to have a, do a seven-figure deal so I can really say, I'm moving money. I'm doing something. I'm a mover and shake in the e-commerce brokering world. And yeah, the day finally came. I, the funny thing is, I, would, I did, in terms of online assets, I would sell 50 to 100 a year. When we're talking about small businesses, whether it's a domain, an Instagram account that makes money connected to a website, there might be, the average price might be five to 50K. So really small money, but it was great cash flow. And then I said, I got to stop doing that because I'm working like crazy. I would go to bed. I would set my phone to an hour timer. So like I would wake up every hour. So I was based at the time in between US and Europe. And I still had a lot of Aussie clients. So I'd wake up every hour just to be the first to respond to clients and hop on the phone, which killed me health-wise, sleep-wise, forget about it, out the door. But I said to myself, let's just, the only way to really scale as a broker is to do less deals, but bigger deals. So come 2020, when I was 21, I was living in Barcelona actually at the time, I had my first seven-figure deal in the pipeline. And it really looked like it was going to happen. And if I look back now, it was super delusional to think it would happen. But because I put a hard stop on the small deals, the cash flow stopped. The expenses of the business still continued. So I quickly ran out of money very fast. And it was actually terrible timing. It was either terrible timing or really good timing because my deal closed on March 15th, I think. And that was like the day before COVID started officially in Spain. And I'd just come back from LA to see the client, my, my seller. And we were actually, the deal had been done. The money was in escrow. I couldn't believe it was happening. But every single day that I thought the deal would be done, I, there was some sort of a delay. The credit card didn't work or this didn't work. There's this fee, that fee. I'm like, this is never going to happen, right? I was so broke that at first I was negative, like I was negative five grand on my credit card. I had no other money. My expenses were done. I paid all my expenses with any cash that I had. And then I remember going to the Mercadona, which is like the supermarket in Spain, with my card that I knew had no money on it, just tapping it. 
and if it worked, if not, all right, it's a, like a lottery. And sometimes it works. Sometimes I'm just putting stuff back on the shelves. Oh, this is a bad day. And Friday came. I'm like, I can make it through the weekend on a few tuna cans. I've been there before. No problem. Monday came. I'm like, this is going to be a bad week. I got negative money. I have, I can't even afford outside. I got to stay inside. And I remember I was sick. I was like, I don't know what I'm sick with. There's this flu going around. What's going on? I checked my, I checked my bank account and the money was there. The money came from escrow. I was like, okay, nice. That's not bad. Okay. I didn't know how I felt. And I was sick. I was like fever sick with COVID probably the, the weekend before the Saturday, Sunday. And I realized the cure for COVID was uh, six-figure commissions. And then I, I went for a run. I ran 10K. I felt great. And yeah. And then the day after, I felt like I couldn't go outside because I couldn't afford to go outside food or anything the week before. The day after I got paid, it was, just, it was shutdowns and I couldn't even go outside even if I had money. So I, luckily, actually, it was really good timing that I did get paid because at least I could just stay at home and work. And that's all I did. And then, yeah, if I didn't have that money, I would have been fucked, definitely, because I couldn't have paid rent. I couldn't have left the country. But from there, it's been a good progression. And it was really a great decision for me to focus on doing only big businesses because now I actually work less, but make far more than I used to. We scaled down our team, but grew. So it was a weird trade-off, but I did have to be on, live on very little money for a period of time. It's the high risk, high reward, right? You put everything on the line. Yeah. And I see my industry, if you can call it that, it's, it's small. In terms of brokerages, not marketplaces, but even marketplaces, there's only two real online business marketplaces, Flipper and Acquire.com, where, I, and I would say that Flipper has the bigger market just because they've been around 15 years. I have done millions of dollars of deals with them. So I know they're good. I've done videos on reviews on both of them, but marketplace-wise, they dominate. Brokerage-wise, there's five real players. And I would say, because total volume of deals done, I'm probably fourth or fifth, to be honest. But look, I, I think that at the time, you can't really get into the, to the industry. And why, if you want to become a broker or have a brokerage, those days are over. Everyone wants someone who has heaps of experience in building businesses and buying and helping people buy and sell. And like we, we've done, I've done this for 13 years as of the recording of this podcast now, which is insane. And I'm, I have, I'm tired from it. Like it's, I, I was, I've been doing it so long. I had a client when I started out that would, I would fax him invoices. I would actually, and I, he said to fax me. I literally had no idea what fax was. I had to Google it. I go, I don't have a fax machine. You go, go to a, like an office works back in Australia to fax it. That's how long I've been doing this. I had to fax invoices. And yeah, and look, at the end of the day, people want that legitimacy. They want to say, show me the deals you've done. Show me the client test, video testimonials. And every single year we see people come into the space and then leave because there's that period of a year or two or three or four where you don't make great money. But once you build up the, the experience and the know-how and the testimonials really, then the integrity from the industry, people respect you. And I had a massive milestone last year when I got, I told you, I, I, I started in entrepreneurship because I read Gary Vee's book. Gary Vee is now my client. It was like a full circle of like 12 years of work. And I was sitting there over drinks with them. I was like, it's weird because I thought I would be super nervous because I'm usually like, I can, I look serious, but I'm like, oh shit, this is crazy. And I was like, I was very chill. I'm like, all right, let's get to work. What are we doing here? And I feel like I just deserved it at that point, but I worked for it. But yeah, man, it's, it's a tough, it's a weird industry. It's not an easy thing to explain to people what I do, but yeah, that's the, that's how a quick wrap up of the 13 years. Yeah. You don't get to retire since you're only 25. 
Yeah, man. No, it's weird. I think, I don't think I ever would. Like I really had a, like a existential midlife crisis, <laughs> a quarter life crisis last year. Cause I was like, oh, like I didn't go to university, man. And I really considered me working to be my own university. I'm like, hey, like you, you still have to read a ton. You still need to be knowledgeable on certain things and work. And you're going to get the experience from doing work. But that's a massive part of my life I did get. And sometimes I'm sad about that. There's things I miss out on. But at the same time, this is what I do. This is what I'm going to do for life. Like I am a broker. I'm good at it. I happen to be good at it. At least that's what my clients say. I don't know if I can speak to that myself. I can just go based on what my clients say. So I'm probably going to do this for the rest of my life. So now I'm like, at least last year, I was like, what should I, how can I become better at this? And we started with e-commerce brokers and online business brokering. And then we focused on, yeah, we focused, we're also expanding, sorry, to brick and mortar businesses, so offline businesses. So that's what our next step, brick and mortar offline businesses are bigger businesses there. It's a big industry. They're, they're doing billions of dollars of deals. We might do 1 billion, all of the brokerages are offline, are, are not brokered and non-brokered deals. So it's a much bigger industry. So yeah, that's like how I, my, the ambition that I set that kind of quelled my concerns about my uh, career. Somebody is looking to sell their business or thinking or wants to have that exit in, let's say, a couple of years. What would you be your advice to them? I think that's a, one question that I get is when should you start like planning for an exit as soon as you start, before you even start. Everything should be exit planning about running the business. Unless you want to keep it forever, which is rarely the case for anybody. The funny thing is most people don't even know that they can sell their business, especially online businesses. First, so with that being said, I would say plan and build it for a sale you get to we have the pleasure of choosing what niche and industry we're in choose one that is highly scalable that can be automated that doesn't need a expert in the business make it and slow so for example we've sold a lot of agencies we probably sell more marketing agencies than anyone any of the top five brokerages right and there's a lot of things that marketing agency owners build that they it makes it very unsellable and then we have to spend a year changing the business and making it more sellable. So first thing is, I am guilty of this with my marketing agency. Don't put your name in the business name, right? That's not going to be easy to, to change for a buyer. And I'm not saying, it's not saying that it's unsellable if you have any of these things. However, the buyers, buyers are going to say, hey, how much is this going to impact revenue post-acquisition? So if your name is, if it's more lost media, like my agency was called, and you're looking to buy it and you say, hey, George, when, you're, when Moolos is no longer in Moolos Media, how much, for, how much revenue is going to be lost? If you can change that name or just not have that name at all and you see no impact like we do with our clients uh, pre, um, in planning, exit planning, then you can say, yeah, it doesn't impact it at all. And then your price won't be impacted. So personal, having your face in the, all over the website Yes, that's fine for the first year or two, but once things are going quite well, put managers and other employees in the videos or hire someone, just hire a professional video maker to do that. You want to distance yourself from the business so that someone else can slot into your place without issue. Uh, another thing, of course, is automation. You want to automate and delegate your position away. The first, the main issue that people have in buying a business, especially a marketing agency, is that they see that the business is that the first thing they see that the, the owner is not paying themselves a salary. So that net profit of 500K is now 
300, 350K. Because if you're working 60, 80 hours, someone needs to be covering that. And if you're going to be left leaving the business, a buyer in that price range does not want a full-time job. So they're going to have to pay those salaries. So your business is now worthless because your 24 months EBITDA is less and they're going to have to hire someone. So if you can slowly push, first step is start delegating some of your responsibilities away to the existing team. Start bringing a manager to take over your role and your role should be under 10 hours a week. Try and get under five. That is the type of, yeah, the type of involvement a buyer is looking for in these price ranges. And really anything with over two, 300K EBITDA, those buyers aren't looking for a job. They're looking to oversee something. They want to work on the business, not in the business. So automation, pushing the responsibilities of the owner away to the existing team or hiring someone. What else can you do to exit plan? One great thing that we always say is just get your paperwork, get your finances together. A lot of owners, especially when you're the, when you started the business, you don't keep the finances cleaned up in check. You're not doing your annual or monthly or quarterly profit sheets, profit loss sheets. You need to, if you can keep that all put together very nicely, your chances of success are much higher than someone who has just the last 12 months and they were done very quickly. So I'd say those are three, the three main things. One, get your face and name out of the business. Number two, delegate and uh, yeah, delegate responsibility away and hire so that a buyer is not buying a job. They just, they can, and they can work on the business. And number three, I would say, get your finances together, get your paperwork together on the business. And what size, let's say revenue, or, or do you look at it more at EBITDA? Does it make sense to now be selling the business? Yeah, no. So look, we don't care at all really about revenue unless... The only time we ask about revenue is if the profit is less than 10% of revenue. Other than that, we didn't care about revenue. If you make a billion dollars revenue and 100K profit in a marketing agency, it's like, all right, like, why would someone want that level of operations for such a low level of profit, right? We're not talking about startups. This isn't a startup world. If you have a startup, we're always going to send you to someone else. Like we, we get leads for startups and we're like, hey, you haven't made money in three years. You have no vision for making money. You don't have no projections to make money. We can't help you. We're talking about businesses and businesses like the one you own, like the ones I've owned, like the ones we buy and sell, they make money. We're here to make profit. This is the meat of the American economy, small to medium-sized businesses. We're talking about business, not startups, right? So with that being said, startups care about revenue. We care about profit. Our buyers care about profit. Where things get interesting in terms of profit is 100K plus. There's a reason for that. There's these very interesting segments of size, basically profit size. With 100K, anything under 100K, it's barely a business. It's barely a brand. There's barely any brand equity. Under 100K just doesn't have value. Because the first question any buyer asks who has three, 400K to buy a business that does 100K net profit is, can I build this on my own with, with three, 400K? And probably, yeah, you can, right? Once it gets to 100K and above in EBITDA and at least two, three years of history, then you can say, you know what? Yeah, this is actually quite smart to buy because this is going to, I couldn't do this on my own. I couldn't do this on my own. I couldn't do this so fast. So then it becomes interesting. Anything under 100K, not so much, right? When you get from 100K to 350K, this is the highest volume price range that we get for our buyers, our buy side service, lead acquirers. We buy a lot of businesses in this range because it's the perfect range for one on the buy side. It's people, the, the clients themselves buying these businesses. They only need about 50 to 75K as a down payment. And then we can usually negotiate, sell a finance or earn out for something else for, on the very cheap side. 
And then if they have 100K cash, we can probably buy a business worth 200K. So there's a lot of moving around there. And also the multiples are as low as they get at 100K EBITDA. Beyond that, it's, yeah, much bigger brands, longer track history, bigger profits and as so all. On the seller side with earnouts and seller financing, have you found that to be beneficial on both sides? On the buy side, it's incredible. Yeah. Pre-COVID, you could usually get 20, 30% seller financing and very few people wanted it. Earnouts are, we don't even, we usually, I can't remember the last time we did an earnout on the sell side. We don't even want to talk about it. We don't even want to say the E word when we're talking sell side in my team. But seller financing, okay, that's something we understand is just the norm of the industry. We'd like to, one, try and get cash up front at a good multiple. Number two, okay, if that's not possible, if the market is down, which it has been for like a year and a half now, then okay, fine, we'll do 20, 30% seller financing. If the business is that bad that it needs to do like 30, 40, 50% burnout, then we probably don't want to sell it. So we probably hasn't gone to that point for us. On the buy side, we are insane with the deals that we get. We have done, uh, at the end of last year, we hit a record. We, did a, we negotiated a 10-year earnout for 60% of the business, and it was a good business. But because it's such a buyer's market right now, we can get away at anything, almost anything we want because there's very few buyers out there. Interest rates are very high. So if you're a strong buyer with cash, sellers will take almost any deal within reason. So George, if any of our listeners were looking to sell their business and wanted to reach out, how could they do so? Yeah, you can always just check out my website, ecommerce-brokers.com. Message me, George Mulos, whether it's on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere, M-O-U-L-O-S, you'll find me. And yeah, look, we are the white glove, a white glove premium service for any business that's at least a year old and at least does 100K in a property. Thank you, George, for coming on the show and everybody for listening to another episode of Failing to Success. Make sure to smash that subscribe button. I'm your host, Chad Kalecki, and we'll see you next time.